We're back to Neil Haley's show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? And I have not, awesome. I, you know what, I've never interviewed a celebrity who's a Neil. So this is just the first. <laughs> and this guy, I mean, is just amazing, brilliant. And now talking, we're talking social media. I love it. I got to have a, a conversation offline at one point with him. But go ahead and introduce our guest, Dave. Well, there's only one Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, astrophysicist, director of the Hayden Planetarium, and his latest book, Cosmic Queries, Star Talks, Guide to Who We Are, How We Got Here, and Where We're Going. Ladies and gentlemen, the next Carl Sagan. Welcome to the show, Neil. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Neil, so Neil, Neil, growing up, and this is so weird always saying, I'm sure this will be like Neil and Neil. We never had the show. We have to have a show, Neil and Neil. But, Neil, growing up, <laughs> did you fun. ever think that you would be in this position in your life, uh, you know, with this 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 role and how it's grown and to look at this, just guess this journey? Did you think this would happen I to th you? Th mm -hmm. I think of it differently than that. Not so much that I ever imagined being here. It's that I had no, uh, once I got the PhD, uh, I, that was my goal from childhood, PhD in astrophysics. Anything else would just be gravy. And whatever it is, that's what it would be. And if I, so this is a path. Uh, I see this path as being a servant of the public's cosmic curiosity. And I'm happy to be able to fulfill that for the public. But part of me says, you know, uh, and I, you know, I just go back to the lab. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't, um, I don't, I didn't seek it out. And so, uh, so if I, I, I fantasize that one day I just, there are enough other people on the landscape bringing science to the public and astronomy to the public that I slowly back out of the room and exit the back door mm -hmm. and then just go to the Bahamas and then no one will miss <laughs> me because if they're fed by all these other people who are on that landscape. And then, and I go back to the lab in the Bahamas, and and that, so I fantasize about that. <laughs> so, are you in the Bahamas today? Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm in Manhattan, New York City, right. a, a, an exotic <laughs> island of its own. So, I have a serious question for you. So, I'm amazed and perplexed at, at the same time, <laughs> if that's possible, how we are so divided as a people about science. You know how one group believes and embraces. You know, when it comes to, oh, let's say vaccinations and all of that, and get rejected when it comes to, let's say, when life begins in the womb. How do we resolve that, you know? Um, well, so there's certain objectively establishable scientific truths. And to the extent that on the political spectrum, you have people in denial of them, well, that's just a recipe for the unraveling of an informed democracy. So we need somewhere in the educational system people need to learn that the whole point of science is not to make your life miserable or to to undo your belief systems is to establish what is objectively true and in a pluralistic society which is what we have in the united states that is free a free pluralistic society you you can you allow people to think and say whatever they want but if you're going to make legislation that applies to everyone that legislation or laws better be based on something that is objectively true. If not, then you are imposing your belief system on someone else whose belief system might not agree with yours. And that's where the problems begin. So I think in the educational system, people need to understand what science is and how and why it works. Then when you've done that, it, 
once you understand it and you still want to not go along with it, I don't have a problem with it. So for example, if you are, if you don't, if, if, if you don't want carbon credits and all these things that have been proposed to reduce the carbon footprint, to reduce the, uh, the impact on climate change and global warming, um, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, oh, I see the science. Yeah, that's, that's amazing and disturbing, but I still don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to, then that's at least honest. Rather than say your science is bad and my thinking is correct, right? So, so um, there's room for people to just simply disagree, but there's no room to disagree on objectively established scientific truths. So that's a problem. It's a problem. And the United States will lose its luster. It already has begun losing its luster in the world for how dysfunctional we are because of the tribalism that has gurgled up and has not seemed to go away. All right. So Dave, and and so, and that's so true too. And then that's when you talk science, but why did you write the book? And I love again, what you're talking about with 10 truths that we have to discover and we have to look at. So what made you want to write the book? Yeah. So the book emanates from a, a highly successful format of star talk, the podcast that I host. Star Talk is the is the is a tapestry of science, humor, and pop culture, and each episode is a blend of those three. The pop culture is crucial because you walk in the door with a scaffold of pop culture. I don't have to prep you for your pop culture. That's the whole definition of pop culture, where we have a common vocabulary when discussing. We all know who Tom Brady is, who right. you know. There are things we don't need to prep you on. So you walk in with that. And um, I was going to give more examples. You know, Beyonce, Tom Brady, the Pope, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, Joe Biden. Uh, we, we all know this. OK, so from that, I then say, how does science, how can I attach science to that scaffold so that you will then embrace the science because it's relevant to things you care about. That's what we do on Star Talk. And what we found was uh, one of the formats is people write in with their own questions, and we call that cosmic queries. Right. And people love it because they then become a participant on the frontier of inquiry rather than simply listening to what I think they should hear. They ask what they want to hear. And occasionally they ask really deep questions. <clears throat> I said, I can't answer this in a short podcast. So I started collecting them together. And it was like, you know, we, this has got to become a book, especially since it hasn't really been done before. A book that addresses the deepest questions humans have ever posed to, to civilization. Why am I here? How did it all begin? How will it all end? Is there life in the universe? Uh, what, how, how did the universe get to be this way? What is the universe made of? Oh, my gosh. We've been asking these questions for millennia. And now we, some of them, we have really good answers. Others, the answers are, are a little ratty, still working on them, okay? Still baking in the oven. And uh, others, maybe the question isn't even the right question. So this book is a celebration of curiosity and wonder and how that has manifested in what we have decoded about the operations of nature. 
questions, nothing but questions. Can God and science coexist, Neil? Okay, so you're asking me that question in the English language in the West. So you presumably mean the God of the Judeo-Christian Bible. And, How about a um, creator? Okay, so that would be a God without a religion. Uh, the, the, then there would be a, de- a deist. I think it's deist um, is what they call it, where you there's a, a, a prime mover, and then everything unfolds on its own. The founding fathers were, if they were anything religious, they would you would call them deists. Definitely not Christians. So the the assertion that we're a Christian nation is just false. If they want to assert that based on the writings and conduct of founding fathers, it's an objectively false statement. So so. Um, So I don't have a problem if you want to say there is a God that made the universe exactly as we have discovered it. And the God is responsible for all the laws of physics. And um, and if you conduct science, you are studying the glory of God. I don't have any problem with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. now, however, if you now say God is listening to you and oh, in the Bible, which is gives me my understanding of God, the universe was created in six days and that the earth was created before the sun, um, this is untenable. It is inconsistent with everything we know about the natural world. So you can continue to believe it, but you should, you should stay out of science classrooms and, and try not to become head of NASA. And because in this country, we have free expression of religion. Um, no one is going to prevent you from thinking that. The problem comes about is because you think that you want to require other people to think exactly the way you do by threat of law. And that's, that's no longer a free country. That's a different kind of country. So these questions really are going to make us think when we read this book, it sounds like to me. Oh yeah. It's a question. Thank you for bringing that up. These are not questions that you can look up in a wiki page, right? These are questions that touch on philosophy and in part some spirituality there perhaps. Um, Oh, by the way, if you want God to be the prime mover, I, I, would, I would say we don't know what was around before the universe. And you can say God, um, but you have to be careful when you say that. You just have to be careful. So, for example, um, in the Old Testament, there's a conversation God has. Um, was it with Abraham or with Job? Uh, forgive me for not remembering which. Job. Where, what's that? Job. Is it with Job? Where... Um, the motives of God are questioned right. by Job. And then God gives a whole litany of interesting, phenomenal, mysterious things going on in the natural world, like the migration of the birds and the tides. And the, there's a whole list. Mm-hmm. And that is a list of things that there's no way Job or anybody else at the time could have possibly understood. And so these are mysterious things that God is taking credit for. Okay. Now, fast forward thousands of years and we invent science as it is now conducted in the year 16, around the year 1600, where we have experiments that test your ideas. And that's how science is conducted even today. And when you do this, we've answered almost every one of those mysteries that were laid out by God to Job. We, we, we got this. We know why the tides are coming. We know what the, the migration. We, we understand this. So no longer is anyone using that list as the go-to for the handiwork of God. 
they're picking other things. You might still believe that's true, but that you're not listing it in modern times. You're listing other things like God made the universe or dark matter is God or dark energy. So you're going to where science has yet to tread to then invoke the hand of God. But why are you doing that? Why aren't you saying this rock is the hand? You could and you might. But it's not what it's not really what's attracting you to utter that sentence. You are going to the pockets of ignorance that remain within the scientific community. And all I'm saying is that if that's where you're going to put your God, be ready for some time in the future where science figures that out. And if that's the case, then God for you is an ever receding pocket of scientific ignorance. All right. So. Now, this has been very interesting. I wish we could talk for longer, and I got it. can't wait to hear about this whole Twitter thing. That's just making me really excited. But uh, the universe of, uh, of uh, audio uh, chats is what I'm into. But, <laughs> Neil, okay. but, okay, as, as I'm clubhouse addicted. But the point I want to make, finish up with, is Dave has an interesting question for you, Neil, that involves caregiving. And then we're going to go and talk about where we can purchase the book. Go ahead, Dave, quickly, because we only have a couple minutes. Let's do it. Okay, thanks. I'm a caregiver. My wife had a stroke. She lost her speech, became paralyzed one side. We grieved for a couple of years. We came to accept it. And now we go around helping caregivers. 30% of them die. And my question to you, because I've discovered that Everyone is either going to become a caregiver or need a caregiver. And I don't know where science fits into that, but has caregiving touched your life? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, in many ways, I mean, like you said, it's inevitable for everyone. As a child, my mother uh, went to school after she was empty nest. She raised us as a housewife and then went back to school and she became a, a gerontologist. And so her thoughts and concerns all focus on old people and the needs of the, the, the elderly. So from very early in my life, I had this sort of elderly baptism for what their needs are and what problems they face. And from uh, being physically uh, crippled to, to, to dementia, to, to Alzheimer's, which wasn't fully labeled up that far back. Mm. But, um, and so uh, we would care for them and and bring them food and and give them companionship and bring them music and invite them to holiday celebrations. And so this was a so it's not as intense as what you just described with your wife, but they were there. And eventually, our grandmother moved in with us, so I saw her needs. And um, so yeah, I think about this all the time. And people are living longer right now, like decades longer. So that's good and bad, if I can say it that way. Uh, it's good because there's, there's a little more life you get to experience. But what it means is more people will be taking care of their grandparents. Because there was a day when they would just die of a stroke or of a heart attack. And so you didn't have this sustained care and feeding that would go on for upwards of a decade. So uh, it's interesting. I don't know if that we fully addressed the societal response to that and the needs that that change over in society has wrought upon us. So, um, so yeah, I mean, ideally we live in a future where all these elements are just cured, right? And you can live a healthy, uh, vibrant life until the day you die. Then gone are nursing homes, gone are, you know, and I have this fantasy where it's very sci-fi where 
okay, ALS takes away your body and not your mind, and Alzheimer takes away your mind but not your body, that one day we have a dr- brain-body transplant. We get the good mind out of the ALS patient and transplant it into the good body of the Alzheimer's patient, and you at least get a whole human being out of that. And so... But I, Sign I, me up. I think the real answer there is you want to find a cure for both, so then you don't need the brain transplant. So, so uh, yeah, this is a, a very real problem, and I think caregivers are not valued in society as much as they should be. They tend to be some overworked, underpaid people, particularly if you use them through agencies. And mm-hmm. so I don't have a good answer. And in the Western culture, um, uh, unlike Western uh, European culture, unlike sort of um, Hispanic sort of Mediterranean cultures, the you take your elderly and you put them in a nursing home, right? Rather than have them, have them live with you. It's a different mm-hmm. approach to what it is to get old, a cultural approach. So yeah, I think about this often. And what does science have to say about it? I think just, you know, let's fix these ailments. Right. And then exactly. you're alive until the day you die. And then we get to celebrate your life. And, and then your life doesn't become this this weight that is wrapped around others just waiting for the mm-hmm. person wait as in w-e-i-g-h-t just waiting for the person to die right so what is that we, we've made some progress with with hospice right in hospice yeah. we said no i can keep you alive for 10 years but what kind of life is that go home okay die in your own bed and then you die a month later okay we that that's progress i think but even greater progress is we cure you so you don't have to go home to die. So as a scientist, I yeah. see <laughs> wow. these as solutions to that pro- those problems. Oh, it's very interesting. And the 10, that has great 10 questions. Where's the best place we can uh, find the purchase the book? It's in all final, final bookstore, all bookstores and also available on yeah, Amazon yeah, and all that. There's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's Amazon, but if you're sort of anti-mega, you know, the, the mega corporation that Amazon is, um, in indie books, you can buy through indie books and it's also there's an audio version of it as well and uh so yeah it's it's at at bookstore at booksellers near you as they say yes well it was great the neil and neil show we'll have to think about this at one point in time uh for sure and uh i can't wait to hear about what you're doing on twitter so people need to check you out google you check out all the different things you're doing neil and i appreciate it and thanks again, Dave. And what a great show. Thanks again, Neil, for Excellent. stopping if by. If you give me your email, I'll send you a link to it. Oh, I definitely will. Okay. I'll, we'll get off this interview. And and I'll do it. Thank you, Neil and All right. Neil. All right. You're listening to okay. Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just All right. a Bye. moment. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Photographic Memory Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Shannon Panzo. Dr. Shannon, what's going on? Hey, we're having a great day here again, here in Australia. How are you doing today? Always great. Always great to talk to you, especially, but um, I'm excited to talk to you because, again, you're a photographic memory expert. You're also a great mentor and also a brand management expert, and your mentoring, as we learned on last episode, really helps people because it really untaps their true potential in so many ways. And our topic today leads into that even more, the law of attraction, which is so important. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun here today talking about the law of attraction. This is one of those topics that uh, everybody seems to have their own opinion, but uh, it really comes down to who's actually getting the results. So we're going we're gonna to go into some different things with the law of attraction so that people can start to understand just how complex it really is. It's, uh, it's actually very simple, but at the same time, it is complex. Absolutely. And we don't make sure that, that when we look at this, the important thing of the law of attraction is if you have negative thoughts, if you don't believe you're going to have certain things, you're going to attract bad things. Well, a lot of these things come down to uh, an individual's level of integrity, uh, how well they know themselves, uh, their own personal truth, what is realistic, what isn't. Uh, there's, there's many different things that are coming into the picture as to what it actually, uh, what it actually takes to make the difference with the law of attraction. So let's jump about the history of the law of attraction. Okay. Uh, the law of attraction has always been with us. And this is, uh, this was actually notated. Uh, it was uh, put into a formalized, uh, a formalized way of dealing with it back in 1912. A, a gentleman by the name of uh, Charles Hanel, he created what is called the master key system. Now, the master key system was delivered over a 24-week period of time. And back in 1912, the people that would actually take this on board were people uh, of affluency, uh, they had plenty of money to burn. They were not your typical worker people. Worker people worked hmm, usually around 10 to 16 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. They didn't have time or the luxury of taking this on board. So this was actually the pursuit of the wealthy and the affluent. And what ended up happening is uh, he inspired people like Napoleon Hill, uh, people like that. It was a very big undertaking because you had to restructure so many things about your life. You had to restructure the way you believed in things, uh, how your connection with God, all different sorts of things that simply you would not normally take, in, uh, take into comparison with. And these are things that the average person didn't think about whenever, uh, whenever they were actually going through their, their regular life. And that's, and so the, when you think about that, uh, so there, the, it's really an amazing thing that was discovered. Well, yes, the, the implementation, the implementation has always been the same. 
People need to understand and utilize personal programming or uh, dealing with your own subconscious. People need to understand that that is a key part of what you're doing. This is not something that is taken, taken lightly. It's not something that a person that has never dealt with these things before can simply take on board at the, at the drop of a hat and expect right. to have success. Wow. So personal programming, can, I, can you go a little bit more into that? Or is that for a longer later time? Because we're still in the history. <clears throat> okay. Well, uh, personal programming, uh, essentially what you do is you, you tap into your subconscious. You give yourself instructions of what you want to see happen in the future. You also have to have a pretty good imagination as to what you would like to see happening in the future. Um, I'm going to give you an example of, uh, of a person that I came in contact with, which really did have something to, uh, to add to all this. Uh, what this gentleman was is he was a corporate goal setting coach. He made a lot yeah. of money teaching corporate goal setting. I asked him, well, gee, oh, he told me he got out of the business. I said, well, why did you do that? Yeah. It's so lucrative. Well, I already knew the answer, but I wanted him to tell me. He said, well, corporate goal setting doesn't work. Really? Tell me more. Uh, he goes about telling me how the, he would go into the board and the board would give him a list of instructions that they wanted their people to follow. Uh, they right. were, the people would, would program these things in in order to elevate the company. Unfortunately, these things were not of interest of the workers. These were only of interest of the board members and maybe a few workers along the way. So really, when it came down to putting these things into their programming, what would happen is these things would fail. Uh. They were not part of the person's design. It wasn't, it, it was meaningless to the person. So whenever, uh, whenever corporate goal setting was established, <clears throat> hey, it sounds like a great idea, as long as everybody's buying in with you. And the workers, that's not their job. Their job is to work. Right. So they would go, they would, they would put the due diligence in, they would actually go and program these things in. And then at the end of the day, nothing would happen. Why? Because only 1% right. of those people that were there working actually had the same thing in mind as what the company did. The go-getters, the, the ones that really wanted to see the company prosper. And the workers, that's not their job. So right. they weren't worried about that. They're worried about the paycheck. So that's, that's what ends up happening. So when it comes to goal setting, goal setting has a, a certain set of parameters. Goal setting is very similar to the law of attraction. The same, some of the same principles apply. So whenever you look at the law of attraction, if something is not right for you, no matter how much you program okay. that in, it's not going to happen. Uh, whenever, whenever the uh, the secret came along, right. oh boy, everybody jumped on that. Hey, especially when you get somebody like uh, like Oprah going and saying, "Oh yeah, this is the way that I do things." Well, yeah, that is the way that I do things when it comes to <laughs> Oprah. 
but Oprah has a massive task force of people. She says, right. gee, I would like to see this happen. And sure enough, it all does because that's what those people. So you don't, do you think she uses, she doesn't, you don't think she do. uses the law of attraction? Well, of course she does, but she also <laughs> implements it in other ways as well. <laughs> <laughs> what about, I mean, so gonna, when you talk about the secret and I want to take in that delve deeper with Jack Canfield's of the world where he wrote, he's going to have salt, get a million dollar check. He wrote himself uh, before chicken soup or, you know, other people that are in that show, the secret um, that are, I mean, the movie, the secret, do you feel that they lived the law of attraction in the right way or they really used it correctly? Uh, I would prefer to see people do it in a slightly different direction, but if that is in their particular form of integrity, then it is, it is foreseeable that they would have results likewise. If that is not in their integrity and they write out a, a $1 million check to themselves, then they're probably not going to get there. <laughs> it, it actually has to do a lot with the, the person, their path that they're on. Uh, it, everything about them as that individual. And this is what's right. so important. And these are the things that are not being brought across. People are just being given the basics of how to make it, you know, how to make programming work or the law of attraction work. And then they're left out there to do their own thing. Now you can go and you can read the master key system, which is a book you can purchase. It's uh, typically over hundred pages and it is extremely complex. And you start to read into this thing and you go, oh my God, what is going on here? What am I supposed to be doing? Because this is so foreign to the way that I think. Well, again, back in 1912, this is the same reason why the, uh, the affluent were the people that gravitated to this book. It's because they were the ones in that, in that class that could actually undertake these changes without affecting their life. So what I'm hearing way. is, if we go back to history, the Master Key System by Charles Hanel and inspired by Napoleon Hill, those people, you are more pro-law attraction than the secret, it sounds like to me. Oh, I'm, I'm in absolution with it. It's, it's right there. But, uh, okay, here's, if you take, if you take something like uh, the Master Key System or even just... Right straight up law of attraction as per the secret or what have you. You put that in front of a non-intellectual person. Right. And they're going to go, ah, I don't know what's this. Get this out of my face. Okay. They're not interested. Right. But that same non-intellectual person, and you, you know these people, you've met them. These people are inherently lucky. They will say something. They will say something like, gee, it'd be nice if. And the if falls in their lap. <laughs> and if it doesn't, they don't care. Why? Because they've put no energy into it. They have put, uh, they haven't thought about it. It's been off the cuff. It's a nice suggestion and they can live with or without it. And so if it does drop in their lap, hey, a million dollars just dropped in your lap. 
that's nice. <laughs> Move on. This is their attitude towards things. And that's perfectly fine. That is how it works. That is actually the true form of the law of attraction. Definitely. No, it it definitely sounds like it. So the true form that if you really don't have a belief system, you don't program yourself, you don't really look at the specific things you say, I I follow the law of attraction. I'm always looking at positive things. I'm already setting my bar real high, but yet you don't have the skill set or the the intellectual ability to get to that level. You're, you're kidding yourself. That's what it sounds like. Right. Well, the thing is, is, whenever you have all these people out there that are intellectual and they get these various systems about the law of attraction, what happens is they over intellectualize the system. They think too much about the system. Now, a very, a very basic thing that makes it complicated. One of the things is, and this flies in the flight, uh, flies in the face of anybody trying to do this at first. This is a leap of faith. You have to jump into the river, okay? And you don't know how deep that river is. You don't know how wide it is. You don't know how long it is. You have to jump into the river and go for it. And that's what this is all about. This is doing something that you would not normally do. Yeah. It's definitely because in a lot of ways you're saying you, we talked in your mentoring as you're helping mentor me as well, because you want me to grow is, are you programming yourself to do this? Are you programming yourself to attract people? So let's take about you're doing is you're using the Zucks pro method. Now you're using your ability and your mentoring programs that people can contact you for you to mentor them by going to zuckspro.com which would be an unbelievable thing to have Dr. Shannon Panzo mentor go to zuxpro.com and you could become that Dr. Shannon has a few spots available, very limited for personal one-on-one coaching regarding uh, mentoring. So mentoring, not coaching. Sorry. I always bring up mentoring to be able to give that mentoring, but let's go to the, the point of why does Zuxpro have better results than the law of attraction. Okay. Uh, there's two, two different aspects here. When you, look at, when you look at the same method with Zoxpro, we actually do utilize the same methodology as what everybody else does with Zoxpro, but we get better results. Why? Because the photographic memory, when you exercise the photographic memory, you're exercising your brain. When you exercise your brain in sure. this way, it, it amplifies everything that you do in life. It makes everything easier, better. So whenever you're doing your programming, it makes your programming more effective and efficient. Wow. This is what raises our rate of people actually going through the programming and having results with, with their own personal programming. Uh, whenever they go through ZoxPro, they get this. And they get the, the basic method of how to do the uh, do the programming and actually have results with the law of attraction. Right. If you are a mentoring client, there's a whole new echelon there of proprietary information that nobody else has given except my mentoring clients. And this particular information is teaching intellectual people how to actually make 
the law of attraction work. Oh, wow. Intellectual people and the law of attraction are in different areas of the world and they right. tend to not, or you have scatty results. So the main thing is, is you want results. The results that my clients have are quite dynamic compared to what you would normally see out there and say the, the secret or things like this. Gotcha. Okay. So, so yes, Zox Pro training, will, will, help Zox Pro training will elevate you, but there's even something I do that goes a big step further. Based on that, Zox Pro teaches you the photographic memory, mental photography, and through mental photography, you have more success in the law of attraction through programming. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's uh, you know that's what I that's what I do. I've taught uh, I've taught people how to use the law of attraction way before the secret ever came along, uh, about. 35 years before the secret, you know, was a, a big name. So it's been out there. We've been teaching it ever since inceptions back in 1975. From that point on, we've been teaching the law okay. of attraction. So we have, uh, we have the, the gears, the wheels that actually make it work. And we've, we've seen over time who has results, who doesn't, and what makes a difference. That's why we have the, have this extra little thing that we can do for people. All right. So people right now need to go to zuxpro.com and they, and then if they want the mentoring so they can get the full, they go ahead and purchase zuxpro and go ahead and sign up for mentoring and get a double whammy of good value. And if you're, if you're interested in mentoring, uh, you need to contact, uh, you need to contact me directly. Uh, you can contact it, contact me through the help desk, or you can contact me through, uh, through other channels, but that's the easiest way to get a hold of me, contact me. And, and, uh, and then we will discuss whether it's, it's, um, uh, you'll be applying for it. Let's put it that way. Ah, you see have the right people in the right situation to do that. So I appreciate again, Dr. Shannon. We're going to check you out again at zuxpro.com. You follow me, follow you on all different social media channels, and I look forward to our next episode for sure. Great. And uh, thanks for having me again. I loved it. It was so knowledgeable, and I'm definitely going to take some of those ideas and go with me on my way to start programming myself to reach all of my highest potential and all those things. So I appreciate it. Have a nice day. You too. That was the Photographic Memory Podcast. Take care, guys. Please listen to the Forletta Podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few. Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, a.k.a. El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Waco. For information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? I'm doing good, Neil. 
excited about our topic. So what is our topic today? We're going to be talking today, and the title that I'm putting on the topic is, Has the CDC Been Cooking the Books on COVID Vaccines? And when I say vaccines, what I'm talking about is the mRNA shot, which is not a vaccine, but which has been called a vaccine so that the big pharma people that make it don't have to worry about being responsible uh, for it, uh, for its uh, problems uh, with side effects and or death uh, in a uh, legal sense. Now, as the infection has become endemic in most parts of the world and the vax quote vaccination drive is in full swing. U.S. health authorities are massaging the data and revising testing recommendations yet again, this time to hide the ineffectiveness of these mRNA shots. As reported by Off Guardian, May 18, 2021, the U.S. Center for Disease Control, the CDC, is altering its practices of data logging and testing for COVID-19 in order to make it seem that the experimental gene therapy shots are effective at preventing the alleged disease. The trick is in their reporting of what they call breakthrough infections. That is people who are fully vaccinated against uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, but get the infection anyway. Essentially, COVID-19 has long been shown to those willing to pay attention to be an entirely created pandemic narrative built on two key factors. The first factor is false positive screening tests. The unreliable PCR tests can be manipulated into reporting a high number of false positives by altering the cycle threshold value. And secondly, inflated case count. The incredibly broad definition of a COVID case used all over the world lists anyone who receives a positive test as a COVID-19 case, even if they've never experienced any symptoms. In my history as a medical doctor, we don't say that people have a disease if they don't have any symptoms of the disease. Originally, the CDC recommended lab tests use a CT of 40 when testing for SARS-CoV-2 infection. This, despite the using that CT above 35, which was known to create a false positive rate of 97%. That means that back in the earlier days with a um, CT of 40, only 3% of people who tested positive really were positive. In short, by using an exaggerated CT, healthy people were deemed ill with the disease and the fraud was further propped up by introducing the fallacy that asymptomatic carriers were responsible for a large 
portion of the spread. Now the CDC has suddenly lowered the CT considerably from 40 to 28 or lower in what appears to be a clear effort to hide COVID-19 breakthrough cases in those injected with this mRNA uh, gene therapy shot. The CDC has put new policies in place which effectively created a tiered system of diagnosis, meaning from now on, unvaccinated people will find it much easier to be diagnosed with COVID-19 than vaccinated people. To understand just how significant a change this is, consider the CD, uh, CT refers to the number of cycles the PCR test is run at, and each cycle doubles the magnific magnification of the viral RNA fragment that the test supposedly looked for. That means a switch from 40 to 28 reduces the magnification, that is the sensitivity of the test, by more than 4,000 times. The end result is far fewer positive test results. However, this only applies to people who are being tested for a breakthrough infection. So, as vaccinated individuals are contracting the illness, they're now less likely to register as positive cases, which makes this shot appear more protective than it actually is. Had a CT of 28 been used all along, we would have had nowhere near the number of cases currently touted and the pandemic would have been declared over sometime in 2020. Conversely, were a CT of 40 or higher used to diagnose breakthrough cases, you can be sure the numbers would be far higher than currently reported. To boost the appearance of efficacy of the shot even further, the CDC will also no longer record mild or asymptomatic infections in vaccinated individuals as COVID cases. The only cases that now count um, as COVID cases are if the vaccinated cases of COVID-19 are those that as a result, that those who result in hospitalizations or death. Meanwhile, if you're unvaccinated and come down with a mild case, or if you test positive with a higher CT and have no symptoms, you still count as a COVID case. As explained by Ofgardian, the CDC has put new policies in place which effectively created a tiered system of diagnosis. Meaning, from now on, unvaccinated people will find it much easier to be diagnosed with COVID-19 than the people who get the shot. By keeping the old rules for uh, unvaccinated people, which result in a large number of false positives and an overcount of cases, and applying the new rules for vaccinated individuals, 
that result in significant number of false negatives and under count of cases, you end up with statistics that conform to the propaganda of the mainstream media, which falsely suggests that COVID-19 is far more prevalent among unvaccinated people and that the vaccine works far better than it actually does. When asked why the CDC would not include asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic cases if they've been vaccinated, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky said, it's because vaccinated asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic people carry very little virus. Convenient, isn't it? This reply was never given when they were counting asymptomatic, falsely positive COVID tests as cases, equating them instead to deaths to increase fear in order to drive people to get the shot. In order to be infectious, you need to have a sufficiently high viral load and the viruses must be live in order to replicate. The significant problem with the PCR test is that it cannot differentiate between dead or inactive viral debris and live virus. The reason a healthy person can test positive for COVID-19 is because the test, when used at a high CT, will magnify non-infectious or harmless segments of DNA that are not related to infectious viral particles. So again, the CDC is now admitting asymptomatic people pose no real threat of risk, but they only apply this logic to those who have been uh, vaccinated with the RNA shot. While continuing the lying charade for the unvaccinated. Clearly, self-quarantining and lockdowns are irrational if nearly 60% of so-called COVID cases are non-infectious. The PCR test can also detect dead viral RNA for months after an active infection, making the test even more unreliable. Signs that other countries are starting to manipulate data to hide the um, uh, mRNA failure are also evident. For example, in the UK, they've now dropped the rule that anyone having tested positive for cars, SARS, so um, COVID-2 within 28 days of dying is to be counted as a COVID death. Now that vaccines are out, well, not really vaccines, but now that the shot is out, COVID-19 will only be listed as the cause of death if the patient actually dies from an active case of COVID-19 and nothing else. When you look at how 
case rates and death statistics have been collected and reported and how those parameters have changed along the way. You realize that the pandemic was a mirage created through the manipulation of data. More than a year and a half has been stolen from us in an undeclared war against the public. Even with mounting awareness of the facts, the deep state players responsible for this cruel hoax are not likely to be calling it quits. They have a long-term goal, and that is the complete takeover and control of the global wealth and population. So as we move forward, we can expect more cover-ups, more obfuscation, and more attempts to whitewash the truth and protect the guilty parties. My uh, source for this information is Dr. Joseph Mercola and Off Guardian. And that's how ridiculous a situation we have gotten into. I, I extremely, I extremely uh, feel that you need to follow this podcast as we bring you every week uh, additional information of truth just below the surface. And uh, one of the ways that you can get that is go to www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. It's a free podcast. The um, spelling of Libsyn is L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. Use no capitals, no spaces. And uh, Neil, thanks for simulcasting. Absolutely. Information. All right, guys, that was Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Justice, Low Service, and the Neil Haley Show. Take care. Mm-hmm.